0: Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds.
1: I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris.
2: Today we're talking about why anyone would want to make a game. Both Chris and I have talked about game designs we're working on, but why are we working on these games? Kickstarter is out there to help fund games that are much further along than anything we've done, and websites like The Game Crafter are available to do prototypes or print-on-demand board games, so it's never been easier to get a game made. But why do it at all? Aren't there enough games already? Today we'll explore the ins and outs of why someone might want to design and optionally publish a new board game.
1: But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, the SGC, and the Gift of Games in Grace Lake. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Alright, anyone have any cool Valentine's stuff this weekend?
2: As anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I did the White Castle reservation for <laughs> Valentine's Day this year, and it was a great time.
1: So, I was telling some friends that you guys were doing this, and nobody could believe me until they, like, everyone Googled it. Like, no, 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 that's yeah. not a thing. Everyone go, yeah, I've so never heard what, of this. What is this? What is this?
2: <laughs> so, every year for Valentine's Day, White Castle. Um, you can make a reservation they have actually now partnered with open table so you go to open <laughs> table and you can make a reservation for white castle and they put real tablecloths on all the tables and all of their weight like all their regular staff dress up nice and they're like they do table service for you for valentine's day
1: but the same food
2: oh yeah same food so we got, got a bunch of sliders i think we had like 12 sliders between us because it was a pregnant lady and a Spencer.
1: dude. <laughs> Spencer, yeah. <laughs>
2: so we managed to to tuck away way more food than we should have.
0: <laughs> Does it cost any more? Nope. That's crazy.
1: So you just basically get the reservation and then pay for the food. Yep. That's, that's actually kind of cool. Was it packed?
2: Um, I guess we did leave a tip, which you don't normally tip at White Castle. So oh, yeah. it costs a little bit more that way. But, you know, table service. So,
1: yeah. So was it like full?
2: It was pretty crowded. Um, When I was making our reservation, we had to go to a different location than the closest location to us because I was too late to get in the prime reservation times at our (laughs) White Castle.
1: That's crazy. That's amazing. I really want like, so so many people I talked to is like, oh, I've never been to White Castle. I really want their first experience to be like Valentine's Day White Castle. (laughs) Table service (laughs) Valentine's Day? (laughs) Yeah.
2: It was so, very nice. They had like LED candles and table scatter. It was very fun. The
0: the table service. Do they? Is it still in like the the paper boxes and stuff, or is it like on plates?
2: I we got a paper plate, but like okay, so. it was just a they they brought us like a tray of sliders, and each of us got a paper plate <laughs> to eat at. Got
1: it. Okay, <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, my Valentine's Day. Um, the Worlds Collide two-player set at Target, it was on clearance, so it was half off. And if you bought two, you got one free. So I went out and bought nine starters of Worlds Collide for like some crazy cheap price. And I just put a stack of them on the counter with a Valentine's Day card on top. So when Sydney came home, I'm like, we have Key, uh, key Forge, and here's your card.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> um, player three got a Valentine's Day card from my parents. And he was so excited. And he ripped it open. He was like, oh, and he was making all these cute, excited noises. And then he read the card and he looked at my mom and said, where's my present? (laughs) His only experience with cards is birthdays. And you get a card, you get a present.
1: (laughs) Yep, I used to remember being that age where you measured time by the next holiday that you got presents on. Yep.
2: And poor Player three, he gets like Christmas a month later, birthday, and then that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, my birthday's eleven on, long months. <laughs> well, my birthday's on the twenty third of February, Um and Coming so up, when that happened for
2: presents and tweets, whatever.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, if you want to send me something, I can um, shoot me an email, <laughs> give me my address. Um, but yeah, I used to be like, okay, when's the next time we get presents? I'm like, do we get presents on St. Patrick's Day? Is that a present day? <laughs> and is it? It's, it was so bad that we used to get a present on Easter. So instead of like just getting candy and eggs, we would get like a present because there was like such a void there. Like My my mom was very nice.
2: One time very, I got a crock pot in my Easter basket.
1: We just picked up a Ninja foodie because it replaced my air fryer and my crock pot. And I didn't have a pressure cooker. So I'm like, all right. And now my counter is much cleaner and we've made all kinds of things in it. I really kind of like it. It's basically an Instapot with the Ninja brand name on it, but it's still really cool. But I didn't get it for St. Patrick's Day. I just bought it for myself. <laughs> because now I'm an adult and I can do that irresponsibly, just buy whatever I want. Okay, so let's get into talking about some games. We have some rulebook feedback um, from, I want to say Tamia. Does that seem like a...
2: Sounds I'm good gonna to s- me. I'm going to yeah. say
1: Tamiya. Um, I am omitting all of her rulebook feedback. But she had a brilliant idea that I wanted to throw out there. (laughs) Um, She says, here's my magic idea for a solution to the rulebook problem. Rulebook awards. The winners can stamp best rulebook of the year on the box cover, which would surely increase sales and the competition will increase rulebook standards overall. So I thought this was such a cool idea that I actually emailed Tom and said... We should add this to the Dice Tower Awards, um, of which he promptly emailed back. So if you've ever emailed Tom Vassell, um, he will get back to you pretty quickly. But his his responses are as terse as you can get. Or maybe terse isn't the right term. It's just as brief, right? Yeah. yeah. So his response was, not this year. Maybe next year. Thanks, Tom. But I... As soon as she said this, I'm like, "This makes perfect sense." Like, we talk about best art in a game. We talk about like best components and like lots of things that are not game design related. We should absolutely reward games for having good rules presentations. So, I just wanted a
2: gold sticker,
1: exactly. Just like rules approved, boom, or rule presentation approved. And I call that rules presentation because whatever you decide to do. Was this a good way to present the rules to your game? Did people understand it? That type of thing. So anyway, I just wanted to to, uh, give a shout out to that because I just thought it was a great idea. Okay, let's talk about designing games. Kitty, how's your game design coming?
2: Slowly. (laughs) (laughs) I keep changing my mind. And now I think maybe I'm designing three games at once. I don't know.
1: (laughs) So we're going to get into... Answering the question as to why we would do this, but I first I want to kind of drill you on a few different things, and then I'm gonna ask Flesher some questions as well. But when you say that you have you're designing a game, what does that mean? Are you writing things down? Are you are you cutting out, making cards? Are you like what what does it mean to you to design a game? Or is it just all something that's conceptually in your head that you're talking out loud about? Therefore, making it real and introducing it into the world.
2: Um, Right now, it exists mostly in a Google Doc folder um, where I have like a really sad shape drawing of a board idea. And I have some cards and I have sort of the outline beginning of a rule set um along with just kind of like one document that is like scattershot of ideas right like go and look at that and then i try to like refine the actual thing that i have where I, i've put my ideas on paper and now i'm translating from this was just like popped out of my brain in this one way and now i'm trying to translate it more into a rule set that would make sense to other people and i talked to you about it and i talked to spencer about it quite frequently um trying to go over, like, does this make sense? If I do this this way, does this make more sense or less kind of stuff and trying to refine it. And then um, the game I'm thinking of designing is kind of scenario-based. So also thinking out more scenarios and how those dynamics would play into the more core rules of what I have going on already.
1: So you're basically coming up with, for not a full rule book, but you're, base- you're trying to write the rules to the game before yes. creating any kind of components or playing the game.
2: Yeah, because I think what you start with is, I mean, I think everyone who designs a game comes about it a little bit differently. But in my yeah. mind, first you have a set of rules. Then you have, like, you play those rules with components. You, like, make your components. And then you actually write the rule book that like would teach other people and like be usable because the rules as I've written them are a complete jumbled mess that nobody would ever be able to learn unless I was there telling you what they mean.
1: Right. And and you could even say you're not really writing a rule book. You are making notes about the rules as they exist in your head so that when you read them back later, you'll know what those rules were. Or if you don't, it'll at least make you able to come up with a rule that fits what you had written down.
2: Either something that fits what I've written down, or I remember like, oh, this isn't what I, like, what I wrote isn't what I meant, and now I can fix that.
1: Yeah. All right. So, Fletcher, <laughs> you are not designing a game. That's correct. And you've never designed a game, or never wanted to design a game.
0: Um, Board game, I've at least. Tried
2: or any to, game, really.
1: I've tried to design some
0: video games before. Um, I remembered that. What was that?
2: <laughs> I remembered that you had designed video games before.
0: Yeah, I tried to. I never actually made... with a friend. Yeah, right? with a friend. Yes. Um, and it the idea that we had in mind could potentially be ha- had been like a board game, but it it was kind of like an area control type of a type of a game that we we're coming up with, and we first kind of prototyped it with just like you know pieces of paper and and nickels and quarters and stuff like that. Um, for, like, movements and, like, the different kind of, like, game pieces. Um, and found out that, it, you know, it's actually, like, it's pretty hard to try <laughs> to make a balanced rule, uh, try to make it, like, fun, and also try to make it so you can... There's not, like, a stalemate or, like, deadlock kind of, like, um, I don't know. It comes area. to a conclusion. Yeah, yeah. that it comes it to a conclusion be- because you can kind of, like... The rules that we had kind of like happened upon is like you can you can kind of just keep like switching and you kind of you can work yourself away you can work yourself in a way that it you just basically come to a deadlock so it was it was it was a lot harder than you know i thought it was going to be i didn't think it was going to be easy but it was actually a lot more difficult and
1: we never went anywhere with it yeah well and then once you get a little bit deeper um you will then discover you'll ask yourself the question is this fun like, you have a mechanism. You, you have things that you're doing in the game, but is it fun to do those things? And a lot of games fail that fun test as well. Um, so I have been personally designing games for as long as I can remember playing games. Um, I, I've mentioned multiple times, you know, I knew at in seventh grade, no, I knew in fifth grade, that I was going to grow up and be a game developer and it was going to be computer games, but I played my first computer game. It was the most basic of games. And I said, this is what I want to do with my life. And everything I focused on from middle school, high school, college was to get to that point. I graduated college. I started writing video games. I did that for about almost 15 years. Um, and most of the games I wrote, I also had a hand in designing as well. Um and video games is very very different than board games because it just takes a lot more people and a lot more time. It's just it's and a lot more money in general. It's one of the things that I think is nice about board games is you can design them and create them independently in some cases or with a very small team and still come up with a nice finished product that like a video game is you just can't do that. Not anymore.
2: I would say at some point you need to start bringing in other people. You can get really far in the board game design process entirely by yourself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Unless I guess you're like it kind of depends on what you mean by, it, uh, by yourself. Because, like, even something like you can buy stock art to make, you know. So I don't know if you count that as, like, the artist has collaborated, sort of. But when you're buying, like, these stock images, it seem you know, you're just kind of going out and searching out where you're looking for on your own
1: yeah and if you're not actually ready to publish the game yet like release it to the public blindly your graphic design and your art may not matter as much but if you are going out there and saying i'm going to publish this then those things matter like are hugely important along with like the rule set and how you present those rules all those things are super important that it's very difficult for one person to have all those skills like it it rarely ever happens
2: Definitely. Even if you're just bringing it like to playtest at conventions before you even like try to bring it to publishers, having that art there that like grabs people's attention, grabs people's attention can be really important to your game. And, you know, a lot of games, the art can make or break them. So that I would say that art is the biggest thing that you really need that I can't do for myself personally.
1: Right, so the thing when I was doing video games, I always used to say it's like art doesn't matter. Like you need to have a good game because um, you know, if the art's good, doesn't matter if the game's bad. Well, as I got more and more into the industry and actually got into the professional side of things, it is both of those things matter. Art matters more. And I will say art matters more probably in video games and in board games. And here's my rationale for that. Art sells games gameplay keeps people playing games yes there are exceptions sometimes a game is so good that it will surpass its art or the it, it won't matter but those are the exceptions the random person going splendor. out and buying a game the splendor well exactly splendor is an exception <laughs> to that um but the random person and in that case you can say yeah the art's not all that fantastic but the components. Like, those clay poker chips make Splendor nice. what it is. Yeah. Right. yeah. But you don't know that if to you're just,
2: feel.
0: you know, passing it on target.
2: You know, it has you no shelf appeal. Like,
1: this is a good game. And you look at this box yep. and you're like, what is this? Yep. Yeah. So, so... And like I said, I don't want to belittle designers. I, I've, I've been in the industry. I've worked with a ton of artists. I I get it. I'm the designer. I'm not the artist. So I, it, it kills me to say that art is more important to design. But if you want to sell your game, art is more important to sell the game. To have a great game, to have a, even a good game, the design is super, super important. But to sell a you game... You have to
2: have both, though. Yeah. It, it, they, and I think so often they can work together to enhance each other. Um, One of my favorite video games that I have recently played, is called um, GRI or Greece. I don't know how people G R I S. I don't know what language we're supposed to be pronouncing it. in. (laughs) Um, It's beautiful. And the gameplay starts out very slow, but I stuck with it because I really enjoyed the art. And eventually you, you know, Gain a lot more powers, but literally at the beginning of the game, all you can do is walk. Yep. And I tried to get my sister to play this game, and she did not enjoy the art style as much as I did. And she got bored with it, and I don't think she ever got to the part because the way this world works is it starts all in black and white, and you unlock colors as you play the game so you're playing in the same spaces but as you unlock the different colors it changes the way the world works because you can interact with like different objects and things that weren't there before because they didn't exist in without the color and it's amazing and beautiful but it's a really simple game And without the art, I don't know that I would have kept playing it.
1: Well, and that's a great example of how art and design can come together. So if you look at something like Time Stories, Time Stories, if it wasn't for the art, the game would be uninteresting. It's the art that makes the game interesting and exploring the art as you're going through it. And there's a number of games where you can say that those two things are tied so closely that it's hard to imagine that one was done without the other. They were done simultaneously. And as a game designer, I can get to a certain point in game design, and then I lose my inspiration until I've applied some kind of artwork to the game. I need to know what it's going to look like to inspire me to go to the next step, which makes it very, very difficult to create any kind of game without a built-in artist or at least like co co-designer or or for whatever purpose whether that's game design or art design or whatever it is having someone else to bounce ideas off of is a requirement for me otherwise it just kind of like falls flat there's no i I, you can't i can't get to a finished design by myself
2: Um, i would say for once but um art and um theme too kind of ties into this like having a theme that you're like so the game that i'm thinking of is a space game and there's a lot of like movie inspiration that i have been drawing from that's really fun and i can like really visualize it in even though i don't have the art i like have an idea of what i want the art to look like so that like can keep you going knowing that but you have designed a lot more kind of abstract games where you could put kind of any theme you want on there so like what what are some things that you've come up with for that
1: so in the last well the last few designs um eventually i do need to get to a theme to understand what how the mechanisms kind of interact with each other so one that i did and got very i mean you can actually i haven't put it up for sale on on game crafter but it's i've made several prototypes of it um this was about a year and a half ago i played it right (laughs) yeah this was the the elemental one
2: it's more than a year and a half ago we lived together when you did this
1: all right, so a couple we lived years in the same ago, building, <laughs> at <yeah>. least. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, I was I made this game. And essentially, um, it's it could be a completely abstract game. But the theme of it was, you have three different elemental types. There's fire, water, and earth. And it's rock, paper, scissors. So water you know, puts out fire, fire burns earth, earth blocks water, absorbs water, whatever you want to say there. And your elementals are moving on this hex board and as you're moving around, they can get more powerful if they come across a territory that matches their type, and they will get weaker if they land on a territory that doesn't match their type. So it's and then if you but run you're into programming another element,
2: your movement
1: exactly. And the and the main mechanic is you're programming it. So you're playing up. I think it was three movements, um, three movement cards, and then you would play simultaneously to see how your elementals were moving around. And there were actually two elementals. You're controlling them both simultaneously, and you're attempting to get to your opponent's base. It was a fully functional, complete game. It was fun. And people who I had play it, they all like, like, yeah, this feels like a game. This feels strategic. This feels good. But to me, there was one piece of the game that just I could never really get the right feel for it, which was how to reset your hand. So it's a hand management game where when you played a card, you didn't get your cards back until you did some kind of reset move. But when you did that and how you did that was my blocking point there. But that was solely coming from this is the theme. I know that the theme was, I know what the mechanics are going to be. And I got it into prototype form within a few days of putting the rules together so that I could start practicing all this stuff. Um, because if I didn't start playing this right away, it would be very, very difficult to like see if it was fun. That was that fun test. Is this actually worth continuing design for? Now, most recently, I am working on a game that is also a dudes on a map type of game. <laughs> <laughs> but each each dude on the map will have their own deck of cards. And when you draw up to your hand size, which would be whatever and hand size, you can draw cards from any of the different decks. And the back of the cards will tell your opponent what cards you have or what character you have in your hand. So then on your turn, you can play a card from any of the cards in your hand. Um, and if you play it on the character, so you, your opponent knows like, okay, you have a lot of this character, that character over there doesn't have anything in your hand. So maybe I can go over attack him and you don't have any way to retaliate or whatever, but there's multi-use cards and you can use the multi-use part of the card could be used for anybody um, so that it's not always like, Oh, you don't have any cards for that. So you can't do anything. Yes, you can. It's just weaker type of thing. So I'm toying around with that, and in order for me to actually design any cards, I have to get to a theme, because otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Like I, I have no nothing to draw on to design these cards. And at first, I started yeah. doing a mech theme, and now I'm, I'm to a... I i am think I'm doing an anamorph mage theme in my head now. Um, so I'm still toying around with it.
2: Anamorph or anthropom- anthropomorphized?
1: <laughs> um, little... Cute animals in human form.
2: So anthropomorphize. Because an Animorph is um, a series of books in which, I don't know, young adults turn into animals, I think.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, I could do that too, though. Because it could be like a human and then you turn into your animal form and only in your animal form can you cast spells. But And the reason I'm doing that, talking about theme, is because I want to have a mechanic where you choose a race and you choose a class. And then that's going to allow you to put particular cards in that deck for that character. But what I don't want to do is just go typical fantasy races Um, and even like typical, like everyone's going to have some kind of magic they can cast. But by going anamorphic or using animals, um, you have a lot more variety in what you can do there as opposed to just elves and dwarves or made up races or whatever. So anyway, that's, that's my current thought of it. This game I've taken notes on. It's gone through several iterations without having any kind of prototype material created for it but that's really the next step is i need to create prototype material so i can say is this fun at all is this going to be something that people would want to play and actually want to create decks around you're you're googling anamorphs, aren't you
2: <laughs> i'm so predictable
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm expecting a a little youtube video coming my way in any second now
2: and it's just an image
1: and there it goes Yep. yep so it's a boy turning into a bee, which is kind of very super creepy.
2: They're but- super creepy covers. Most of what I remember about these books are the covers. I'm not sure I read very many of them. Um yeah. They're just terrifying covers though.
1: All right. So oh, if look, you wanted- this one, a
2: girl's turning into a squid.
1: <laughs> um so if you want to Google what kitties Google, Googling along with us, um, Animorphs. That's that's what we're looking at. Don't right Google
2: now. while you drive, but yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> go search these covers because they're terrifying. They
1: There's, are. Is this
0: something that you can put in like the uh, the show notes for the um, <laughs> the podcast? Um, or something like actually, images? if
1: Kitty puts if Kitty puts in the links, I'll put it in the show notes. Yes, because these are s- like so freaky wrong. And
2: you say it all the time because you mean am- am- oh, I can't even anthropomorphic <laughs> or anthropomorphized, Yeah, where you are giving an animal human like features but yeah
1: all right so anyway (laughs) so this gets us kind of a very long-winded way to why do this at all right because the chances of any of our games like you know fletcher's already failed um (laughs) kitty you haven't even started um and i mean I, I'm being facetious, of obviously, but I mean the truth is, Fletcher did fail to make the game, and most game designs do fail to actually go anyplace. So why do this at all? Like, K- Kitty, what what is? Why are you designing a game, especially one of the complexity level that you're designing? Which, like, what what prompted you to do this?
2: Um, it was a game I wanted to play that doesn't exist, and it's fun i have fun doing i have fun thinking about it
1: all right i like both of those two answers fletcher why did you guys want to make your game um and you can't choose kitty's answers
0: (laughs) well so it's it's a i mean if i can't use her answers uh, then i don't know (laughs) it is a fun (laughs) process to try to figure out how to make a game work and have it be fun Uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's kind of like a puzzle in itself and there's no rule book. So you just kind of have to figure out how to, how to do it. Um, and you know, not all ideas are good ideas. We thought we had a pretty interesting idea. And then when we kind of like play tested it a little bit, it was like, you know what? This is actually not that great of a game and it's actually not that fun (laughs) to play. So into the, you know, into the trash heap of ideas.
1: Yeah. I will, I, I, I think it's a really, It's a game that didn't exist and one that you wanted to play. And it it is. It is fun to design games for some people. Um, For me, I don't – I can't ever remember a time where I wasn't doing this. So, Kitty, I asked you, like, how are you putting your notes together? Or what is your game design process? I have – Apple Notes is my primary way of doing everything in my life. Um, It's my to-dos. It's my – taking notes at work, it's by everything. And anytime I have a new game idea, which kind of hit me oftentimes in the middle of the night or, you know, riding home on the train or something like, i will just, it'll hit me. I'll open up, create a new note, give it a, like a working title and start writing down everything I'm thinking about. So if I were to go through Apple Notes, I think I have probably like 20 or 30 games in here of various states of just, I don't know, mind dumping different things and it, like my the game i just described is i've i've temporarily called it mech Dex because it's mechs and Dex, and i thought that was clever so <laughs> <laughs> um but like just thinking those things through are fun for me and one of the things that i end up doing is i start iterating on all right so if i'm playing this game What's the fun part? What am I looking forward to doing each time? And then the next step is actually creating things for that. So then I'll create a spreadsheet um, and I'll start like listing out. And this actually has a Google sheet that goes along with it too. And I'll start listing out like the card traits and putting all that stuff in there and putting in as generic as stuff as possible. Nothing with exceptions or anything like that. Just super generic stuff so that if I print out these components... I can test the core of the game without getting into the like the nuanced exceptions of the game that could potentially come up. Um and all of that's yeah, just like really You don't want to derail
2: your me. game before you even
1: have. <laughs> right. The, the I think the problem that a lot of people the first mistake most new game designers make is they do something that's way too complicated. You really want to limit yourself and you want to do a very, very simple thing because even doing a simple game, which is why I did the Elementals game, because even doing that simple game, there's so many steps involved that if you don't get practice going through those steps with a simple game, you're never going to get through them with a complicated game.
0: Right. I-, I can say like my my friend that I was making this game with, like I had to, I had to persuade him um, to... I wanted to start with, th- this was like, like I said, it was like an area control type of game. But it was symmetric, kind of like chess. So you you both had like the same kind of pieces and same rules, like chess or checkers. Um, but he wanted to start right off and like, let's come up with a, an RPG and like, let's start working on that. And I was like, like whoa, 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 whoa. We're just two of us <laughs> here. We, we want to make a video game. Like, we haven't really made games before. Let's start with something... Very simple, like the symmetric game that I'm kind of thinking of, or like maybe some kind of like simple puzzle game. Let's not, you know, try. let's not kill ourselves trying to come up with an RPG right off the bat.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, and oftentimes the simple games... Yeah, like games- who would
2: try to design a story-based game with lots of movie piece- moving pieces and maybe legacy elements for their first game?
1: Yeah, you would. Um <laughs> <laughs> But a lot of times that designing a simple game is a lot harder than designing a complicated one. You know, you look at something like Codenames, which really doesn't get much simpler, right? But nobody was... And actually, The Mind. There you go. There's one of your simplest games possible. But nobody's, mm-hmm. like, jumping to these games because they're, they almost seem like they wouldn't be interesting at all. But in both cases, not only were they interesting, but when you played with just that simple, tiny mechanic they were also very fun. And it's very easy to add more rules and eliminate the fun while doing that.
2: Yeah. Um, I think something that I, I've kind of noticed here during this conversation even is I come from reading and my notepad or Google Docs in my case is completely full of book ideas that I used to have. And this is kind of my first game idea that I've had and it is very story-based, So a lot of the game elements I've come up with, it's a very simple game, but it has a lot of story based elements that are making it more complicated. And I think I actually started with more complicated rules and decided that that was like too much and really simplified the rules, but like dug into the story element. So you can really bring a lot of different aspects of like your strengths and weaknesses to the game design table.
1: Well, and uh, so let's get into the questions of why do this at all? (laughs) And because you just, what you just said is, I think one of my answers, why design a new game? Why? I mean, let's assume that any of us could design a game and publish it. Um, And I I am convinced that if any of us actually made a game and we put it on Kickstarter, that our listeners are cool enough where (laughs) a percentage of them would go out and back this game just for the sake of supporting us. I am not going to take advantage of that until I have something that is worthy but let's say that we did let's say that we did come up with a game and we're going to publish this. why why publish a game? There's too many games right now. why would we want to publish another one?
2: There's no such thing as too many games
1: is uh, okay <laughs> 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 I
2: think that too many games is is a a lie. I don't know <laughs> I I think um for every person different kind of player there's different kind of games and something that i learned doing um dice tower news in the kickstarter edition with you chris is that we would scroll through the exact same list of games for kickstarter how often did we accidentally pick the same game
1: zero once we almost did
2: zero (laughs) times in all of those weeks and some of those when we were doing the kickstarter edition it wasn't just one game we were picking it was three or four And we never picked out the same stuff. There's different appeal for different people. And the different games are really... They're not meant to find the same audience all the time. Um, So, you know, I'm not sure that you or Fletcher would enjoy playing my game. But somewhere out there is someone like me who would enjoy playing it. And actually, I do think you would enjoy this, Chris. But um, that's beside the point for my analogy.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think... Fletcher, do you have any opinion? Like, why would why would you design a new game? Uh, like, why why would you want to put a new game out in the world?
0: I mean, the same reason that you'd want to put anything out in out in the world, right? Like, you feel like you might be able to contribute. There's a gap that's there that you feel like you can fill. You have an interesting idea that you feel that you think is not represented in the marketplace of games. I mean, there's lots of reasons why you want to make money. That's a good one.
1: <laughs> well, it's a bad one for game design. But yes, that is that is a good one.
2: I think so it's a I bad think... one for self-publishing in general of any yeah. kind of content. Well, yeah, the,
0: the idea of wanting to make money. Sure. That's true. Well, especially
2: so- turning your hobby, especially if it's something you do for fun, being able to try to like monetize your fun, sounds yeah. so nice. <laughs>
1: So and that is, I will say, um, and I agree. And I, it's actually, I, I put it as a bullet point here. Um, it is the least good reason to design a game though. Uh, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> so just in
1: general, if you're out there like, I want to design this game to make a million dollars. No, I want to no. design the game to break even, even then maybe, but probably not. Um, but the way I look at games and the reason why I do do not have any problem with people putting new games out there, is I think you have to look at them... I was going to say books. Like, nobody's going to complain that, oh, there's another book on the market, but you're probably, you know, good books are going to get read a lot and not as good books or not as hyped books or not as known authors or whatever. There's so many reasons why a book doesn't get read. They still exist in the world, and the world is not worse for it, right? But I'm actually... As we were talking, something you guys said made me think is like, I don't think we should think of games as media to consume. I think the best way to think of them as is as art that you create. Each game, you're creating an art piece. And, you know, as my shelves Some can tell you- feel
2: that way about books too. I guess it depends on like it, the level of book right. you're- consuming and I think games can be the same way there's anamorphs
0: yeah. you know high art
2: <laughs> yeah well I mean books looking at you books, babysitters club <laughs> yeah
1: but books movies TV shows all of these things are works of art and to say that the world has enough works of art I think that's hard to say and then argue no. that that is true <laughs> it is easy to say it's like oh the, we have enough board games we don't need any more board games I'm like well, maybe. No. Maybe, you, maybe you don't need any more games in your life. Maybe you have found all the games you ever want to play. That's fine. But the world is not you. And introducing creativity into the world is never going to be a bad thing. Even terrible art can inspire something great from someone else. It's like, oh, wow, that hanging plate by a string in the middle of an empty room, that certainly is terrible, but... Oh, that made me think of an idea of a way to make this better.
2: I mean, the banana duct taped to the wall inspired that other person to eat it.
1: So exactly, yeah. <laughs> right? And, which caused a viral phenomenon.
2: We all know what I'm talking about. Hopefully, otherwise yeah. Google exactly. it. Pull we'll way, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Google banana taped to wall. Like, and and the banana made no splash, but the person taking it down really and think eating the it. the Banana
2: made. a splash. <laughs> The banana made a small splash, but the taking it down and eating it certainly made a bigger splash.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, I just don't know that there's any such thing as bad art. Um, well, no, no, no. I take that back. There is definitely bad art. <laughs> I, was I don't think say, there's do you any You want to
2: stand on that platform? <laughs> no. for you sure. It's wobbly I, up there. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it is subjective. Bad art is yeah. subjective. Good art is subjective. Like as we were talking, it's all subjective. But I don't think there's I don't think there's anyone who could say it's like, there's too much art in the world. Um, again, probably some senators would say that, but <laughs> they would be wrong. And creativity is part of what makes us who we are. And board games is just another creative outlet. So I, I just, I don't know that there's a reason not to do it. Now, if you want to make money, then you have to start weighing different things. But if you want to put an art piece out in the world, I don't think that there is a reason not to make your game.
2: I think it's, um, for me, it's a lot about like sharing my passion for something. It's like, I feel so strongly about this that I want to share with other people how excited I am about it. And I want to, um, like pass on that excitement of like, look, I did this and you could do things like this and like really encourage people. I do a lot of, um, crafting I do. Currently, I'm working on um, a cross stitch project, which I'm actually almost finished with. I'm very excited. And when people see me out in the world working on this project, I get a lot of like, oh, I could never do that. Or like, I can't believe you made that or those kinds of comments. And it's like, anyone can do these kinds of projects. And maybe you don't have the desire to go through with doing cross stitch because it is incredibly tedious and takes forever to make a project. But there is something similar that you can do that will take you in and, like, really get you through the making process. And, you know, board games, I didn't expect that to be another thing for me. But here I am with this idea that, like, won't let me go. And so I'm doing it because why not? If yeah. if I don't try, it's never going to happen.
1: I like what you just said there, where anybody can do, anybody can do some stuff, right? I I Mm -hmm. mean, again, that that sounds weird, but if you (laughs) wanted to do cross-stitching, you could. If you wanted to, there's, there's some things out there that I- You can learn
2: so many skills, especially with the internet out here, and you can go watch people do things on YouTube. You can use Google Translate to find some like, weird Russian crafter who's done this thing. They're the only person on the internet. But like, you can still find those things out there. Like, there's no reason not to learn how to do something anymore.
1: And if you're looking at board game design, there's so much material out there now to do board game design. So if you really wanted to do this, it's still a lot of hard work. But the only thing stopping you from doing this is the amount of time that you're willing to invest in it. It's you you can do it. it it's like anything um i'm not going to go pick up the violin anytime soon i don't have that level of interest in doing that but if i did and someone said eh you probably shouldn't do that there's enough people playing violin right now you you really shouldn't get into that like who
2: would say that
1: <laughs> exactly but in a game design that is something that could potentially be said it's like oh i want to design this you know this new board legacy board game. And if someone says, "Oh, no, there's enough legacy board games and professionals are doing that, so you shouldn't do that." Surprise, surprise, most board game designers are not professional board game designers. They're professional whatever their day job is. They're part-time board game designers. So
2: there are so few full-time designers.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and their games are not necessarily the ones that are making all of the like the top hits. No. So you can do this. So why make a game? Like, that's the title of this episode. Why make games? Why? Because you're interested in doing it. And if you're interested in doing it, 5,000 copies. 5,000 copies is a target for selling your board game and being successful.
2: It's a even crazy like, small number. Even if you want to go fewer than that, what is the new Kickstarter thing? The make 100. Yep. Just, you can make 100.
1: Yep. You don't well, have
2: to commit to making – like, I don't want to do a print run. I don't want to do you – can, you can make a, like, boutique board game just for those people who, like, feel as passionate as you. And it would be great if more people wanted it. But if not, that's 100 people out there who you have directly influenced with your work.
1: And even not, even if it's just you and your friends, or even if it's just you going through the motions and completing a project – there is something to be said for the feeling of completing a project. Oh, yeah. yeah. I need this thing. There is nothing better. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, that's what and keeps
2: you crafting whatever it is that you are doing. Yep. Is the I've finished product the, and like looking at it like, I did this.
1: Yep. <laughs> this I've thing didn't it.
2: exist without me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've talked about the Game Crafter a number of times, and I drop it all the time, because it is one of the coolest sites that I know to go to. A lot of times I just go to it to get components, but they will do print-on-demand board games. You upload your files, you pick your components, you pick your box, your art. Like you can do everything there, and you can print one-off copies, and you can put it for sale on that site. Just doing that is often enough for most, like most of the game designers that use that site they're doing it as it's a hobby and they'll just throw stuff up there and if they get a dozen sales they're like wow people are actually buying this and playing a game that i made so it's it's easy if you can take a game to completion it is easy to get it out there and and to get it into other people's hands and if you think it's fun maybe it is and maybe it's seen by the right person Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's like you know the captain is dead you know this is a game that started on the And it was never meant to go any place further than that. But people really, really liked it. And all of a sudden, AEG is like, hey, we want to do this. And now it's a fully published game. It's still available on the Game Crafter as well. That was part of the licensing deal, is that he would be able to sell it on the Game Crafter for as long as he wanted to. AEG handled the main publishing of it. And they're like, sure, why not?
2: Another fun thing about the Game Crafter, and we have a whole episode about this, so if you are interested in the Game Crafter at all, go listen to that episode. I have no idea what number it is. Sorry.
1: <laughs> the <game>
2: but <laughs> they do a contest. I think it's like once a month. No.
1: it's it, There's no regularity to it, but there are contests all the time.
2: Contests all the time. Where if you are looking for, like, I don't have any idea of, like, where to start with a game design? They'll give you a jumping-off point. So currently, they are voting on a roll and write challenge. They've had a mint tin, a social deduction, simple elegance, um, holiday design,
1: hidden movement was Spork-topia? the one that made me do my elementals one. Yep. So, and and the thing with that is creativity is hard. If I say Fletcher, design me a game right now. Go. Uh, well, Fletcher's no. in. Yeah, exactly. You have no place to go. But now if I say, hey, Fletcher, design me a game that uses 10 normal playing cards. That's all you can use any 10 normal playing cards from a deck of cards, design a game from that. We have now limited to the scope to the point where it's like you start immediately thinking it's like, all right, well, if I took all the face cards out, that's like 12 cards, but I can only use 10. So if I take out two of the king's Then we have, oh, wait, no, I can keep a king and a queen in there. And then the mission is, like, you're trying to get the king and the queen together. Like, you immediately start thinking of ways of making that work. And that's what the Game Crafter competitions are for, is to limit your design space to inspire your ability to actually create a design.
2: Because just reading that title, Mint Tin Challenge, I don't have to read the rest of the text. I'm like, oh, a game that fits in a, I assume, like an Altoids tin. That's very limiting. What could you do with that? You can make a really tiny game or y- it has to just have a few pieces. Can you fit a card in a mint tin? Now I'm going to go get a deck of cards in a mint tin. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that is really, if you really want to exercise your design muscles in an easy way, because it sounds like, oh, well, that's so hard because it's so limiting. No, no, no. Limitations are like the catalyst of creativity. It's being, it's like, when things are too broad, that's your big problem. Like it's hard to be creative in an endless landscape of do whatever you want,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which is
1: why things, so many things are iterative. It's why so many things build off of something else, as opposed to just coming up with something brand new out of nowhere. So Kitty, are you going to, what's, what is your next step in your game?
2: Um, I think I need to go through and I need to build a, full first scenario because right now i have basically like a basic rule set plus scenario ideas so i i need to build a full playable scenario and then get it to the table i've got cards i can print that i can just throw in sleeves printed out like that um and it will be an absurdly large thing because i'm thinking of using mini cards but you can't really do that easily <laughs> so um <laughs> what
1: is what is your game's core getting mechanic? on the
2: table so I guess the core mechanic is draw two, play one.
1: Okay. So you're you're drawing two, playing one, and your hand is getting bigger and bigger as you go?
2: No. You have to discard both. So, so it's one draw is played two, play one, up. discard. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So what I'm going to throw out there, and um, this is something that I've known about for a while, and again, it goes back to the Game Crafter, uh, but Google something called Component Studio. It is an online tool that allows you to lay out any game bits. It can be tokens, it can be cards, it can be a, of all anything that Gamecrafter can print. you can mm-hmm. lay them out here and then you upload or re- reference you upload a CSV file or you reference a Google sheet and it will automatically generate all of the components from that. And then you just say click, transfer to Gamecrafter, and then they send you the, the components. I would highly recommend anyone printing out, cutting up, sleeving, putting magic gathering backs in there.
2: Some people don't like to spend hundreds of dollars on (laughs) pretend ideas, Chris. (laughs) Let me finish. Let
1: me finish. It is super, super time consuming to do all that. And if you want to spend the time to do that, that's great. But the Game Crafter to get like 50 cards printed up is like $4. So it saves you a ton of time and gives you this like professional quality card just something you can do to get you past that prototype thing because for me I get overwhelmed by the fact that like I'm gonna have to print all this up cut it like no 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 I gotta let someone else do all that work because oh, see that that's... doesn't bother me at all well and which which is fine like I'm not I'm just saying if that is something that is overwhelming to you check out that's things fair. like component studio or game crafter like you know if you're good at Photoshop, You know, you're able to do this. Illustrator, um, InDesign is another very common way of laying out cards and stuff. Part of the fun of designing a game for me is setting up these files so that I can then (laughs) tweak them any way I want. Um, when I was doing the elements game, like until I actually had cards with the, you know, the text and the movement on them, it didn't feel real to me. Once I got that, I'm like, ah, now I can actually, I feel confident showing this to somebody else, because it Mm -hmm. looks, like, the art wasn't fantastic, but the the feel of the components was real. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I don't want to say ashamed or embarrassed or whatever, but I was excited to show other people the game, because there was, like, real stuff there. And I can still say, oh, it's a prototype. But it still felt nice, even though it didn't look the way I would imagine it looking in the end.
2: Yeah, I'm not even to like that point yet. And I think it's because I've been a bit more ambitious that I like for the print and play of my like, that's just for me even to make sure that it works before because, you know, I with balance in games, it's very hard to know without playing. Yeah. Um, So I just need to even just see, like, did I break the game?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Do I well, need to change these numbers until it works? And it's fun. Yeah, some, it it leads to the drama and not frustration.
1: Yeah. So some of the best advice um, when coming to balance, and I know that some people really like this idea of like creating this formula, making sure everything's balanced and stuff. Most people, most game designers will tell you balance should be the very last thing you worry about. Let everything get broken. Be extreme yeah. about everything because. Well,
2: for now, I just have a set of like arbitrary numbers that I've set in there, thinking like, "Well, we'll see."
1: <laughs> yeah, and and you and you can't worry about it. You have to play yeah. it and and figure out what those balance are. But if you make a mathematical game where you know x plus y plus z equals whatever my final formula is, the game is going to feel very mathematical. It's going to feel like you can yeah. solve it. Too much balance is worse than too much chaos, because too much balance, you can solve the game. And if you can solve the game, then it doesn't actually become all that interesting.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of random elements of, like, you know, shuffled stuff. You never know. Luck-based things. So, And you don't want luck-based elements to feel like they're ruining the game because it's, like, overly complicated, balanced, and you're like, well... I should be able to do this because the math says I should, but luck is ruining it for me.
1: Well, it's the other way around. It's like, why have luck in your game if everything's balanced? If every card you draw is going to have essentially the same result, that same net result, why have luck at all? Mm -hmm. Right? Then you might as well go like elementals. The nice thing about elementals was I didn't have to balance anything because there was no luck involved. Everything was just Pure open information, which is the easiest thing to do, is just like, nope, everyone's on the same playing field. You decide what you want to do, and mm-hmm. there you go. But if I started doing random draws, then I have to start saying, okay, well, how does luck play into that and kind of get that feel? But random is fun, like, yes, yeah. we've talked about random before being in the equalizer. It's fun, it gives you that slot machine, like, oh, next game I can do this. I, I just got you know screwed by a card draw or whatever the case yeah. may be. So all right. This was a <laughs> was it, it was a, a long ramble. conversation. <laughs> well it was. But yeah, for you know, why make games? I think it's a legitimate thing. It's like obviously there's people who have passions for doing this. And why? Because there's a passion. Why? Because you can't have too many art pieces out there. If you're trying to make money, I will say that is the one reason not to make games. That yeah. is just it is just not. But or, all or of the in other <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's uh what is the saying if you want to become a millionaire in game design start out as a millionaire is basically I, how it comes down i to.
2: thought is it a, if you wanted to be a millionaire in game design start out with two million <laughs> yeah basically
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep so and you don't do game design for money maybe at some point in the future you will video games there are exceptions um but honestly even even with video games i work in the industry the for a long time and the best you can hope for is you know maybe a 10 percent profit off of the investment like you're not making tons and tons of money the breakout hits they're they're few and far between they're the exceptions look at every mmo out there after everquest came out right like there was so many you know massive multiplayer games that came and failed because well everquest made zillions of dollars yeah it doesn't mean it's gonna Happen for your game, like you can't just just don't do it for money. If you're doing but, it for money, just but go it's not it the, the only
2: successful one out there. There are others that hit it big, and you never know. Yeah,
1: yeah. just don't and, make and that, that your plan. <laughs> yeah, let the money come accidentally. Make the game that you want to make, and have fun doing that. And then, yeah. even if you don't make money from it, you still had fun doing that. More often than not, a game designer is going to be more than thrilled if an actual publisher picks up their game and puts it out there. That by itself is like it's its own reward, and then when your you know five hundred dollar royalty check comes in, you're like, oh well, I guess I can go to a nice fancy <laughs> dinner a few times.
0: <laughs> I can use this to buy my own was, game.
1: Yeah, well, my first game company I worked with was Midway Ga- Midway Games, and they did royalties. And my first game was out there, and I got my first royalty check, and literally the check was for twelve dollars and fifty eight cents. Um, it paid for lunch that day. Like, that was my first royalty check for the first quarter. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's it, you don't make games. F- I don't know. It, I hate to say it too, but like, there are ways of making a living in game design, but making a fortune in game design is not really a, a likely thing. All right. We have one piece of uh, listener mail that I wanted to get to because mostly because of the subject line. Um, so uh, Kitty, I'll let you read this one.
2: All right. So Brent wrote in on Couch to Five K, which he called Hasbro to Hobby.
0: Which
1: I like that, right? I like
0: that. Pretty good. <laughs> That's like my Parker uh, brothers to I forget what it is.
2: <laughs> I don't remember what you said now. Um So he continues. So when I first started dating my wife about six years ago, neither of us really played games. She had Scattergories, Trivial Pursuit, Scrabble, Apples to Apples in her cabinet, along with some kids' games. The following Christmas, I worked at Target to supplement my income. She made an offhand comment about wanting more board games, which led me to stand in front of the game section at Target after my shift one night. I searched on YouTube for a video of Makikoro Bright Lights Big City. What came up was a Dice Tower review, and I really liked the review and the game which I bought and we still play. I then saw that Tom had done a top 100 games of all times series, and I was floored that there were even 100 games out there to talk about. That's I funny up, to me. <laughs> I know, right? but I, After we just talk I, about like, are there too many games? And now there are people out there who yep. don't know there are 100 games still. Yep.
1: I think the most people out there don't realize it's 100 games to talk about. All right, keep going.
2: I ended up buying Hanabi, Lost Cities, The Board Game, and Imhotep, and we are running. We were off and running. I read all the rule books, and we started playing. I was hooked and have been in, love with the ho- been in love with the hobby ever since. She hasn't always shared my enthusiasm, and I was ready to get to a 5K as quickly as possible, whereas she was okay with running a mile here and there. I would get mad, and she would get mad when I wanted to run more or take different routes, But here's how I've brought her along, and we're heading towards a 5K game of Scythe. So, Makikoro, Bright Lights, Big City, Pandemic, Imhotep, Azul, Five Tribes, Viticulture, Architects of the West Kingdom, and Scythe.
1: I think the... Reason, though. So, Maki Carol for engine uh, you've got to go through
2: all your reasons. Okay, read the whole thing. <laughs> you have to, because otherwise <laughs> it
1: doesn't mean anything. Pandemic for action selection, which is interesting. I actually wouldn't think of Pandemic as an action selection game, but it 100% is. Like, it totally is. Yep. Imletet for area control and point salad. Azul for drafting. Five tribes for turn order bidding, set collection. Tableau and engine building. There's a lot of going on in Five Tribes. Viticulture for basically... Worker placement more than anything else. Um, worker placement and upgrades and variable objectives. Architects of the West Kingdom for worker placement, resource gathering and management. And then Scythe. He did mention that steps four to five, which is going from Azul to five tribes, was a big jump. But he's like, but you got to cross the river at some point. <laughs> but I I liked. It's just it's interesting to me when we were because we've been talking about this Couch to 5K forever. And I think you
2: could throw Blood Rage in there if you want to add like. Instead of Azul, maybe? Because that one teaches drafting, but it's also got more going on. I, don't I know. would probably
1: put Azul, blood, blood Rage, then Five Tribes. Because it kind of fits in the middle there a little bit.
2: Trying to think of other kind of light drafting area control. I like Blood Rage. It's a good one.
1: Blood Rage is a good one. And it's one of those games that it's not all that intimidating. Because you know there's there's not so much mechanisms to worry about
2: and there's and not a ton of player interaction and most of the time you want to die it's only when josh kills you that one time
1: yeah or that those time. two times <laughs> but i'm just glad that the couch the 5k idea is something that can be valuable and like the way you think about it to bring other people into the hobby like i want to hear more of these so if you guys are out there and you have different ways that you got from, and th- this can be in retrospect, like what games got yeah. you to your co- most complicated um, hobby game, right? How did you, what steps did you take?
2: Yeah. Even just like looking at your shelf, like look at your collection did you just like jump straight into the deep end or does your collection tell the story of your own 5K? Because I feel like my collection kind of does that. Like it starts with lighter games and they get heavier and heavier. And then just kind of like I reached my comfort level and I think I have a few games at that same kind of 5K level that I've built too.
1: But you're also at the same time, if you've reached your comfort level, if we're going to take the 5K analogy there, but you're still able to... Like if someone is like, oh, let's go run this this other little bit more complicated path. You're like, okay, yeah, sure. I'm yeah. I'm I'm in shape I'm enough. I'm fit to do
2: enough that. that I can do that. Yeah, I can take a you know, jaunt down a tr- tougher path, whatever, every now and then. Um, but I don't know that I'm gonna lead. I'm not gonna pick those runs.
1: <laughs> right, you lead the way, and I will follow along and enjoy. Yeah. Yep.
2: And you never know Our- that might be become your new favorite route. Yeah, always worth going.
1: <laughs> All right, um, We're taking this and that- analogy
2: too far. Get us out of this. <laughs> no,
1: no, I love this analogy. We're gonna keep doing it forever. Um, so you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Twitter Tabletop Game T L K. Kitty is Laugh Good Mom, where you can see her picture at White Castle. Fletcher is (laughs) not
0: Fletch.
1: (laughs) I am Game Master Chris. And you can leave us in the iTunes review if you would like. You can also visit us on Patreon at TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon.
2: Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at TabletopGameTalk.com.
1: And today's credits are from Joey. So let's see what happens. Adam Harrison The SGC
0: The Gift of Gamers Jason Strong Terrace Miltner Steven Seitz Brian Arnold Sean P. Kelly C. Marie quarto, Benjamin Highwoods, Jerry Huang, Stephen Phillips Kayla Ryan Jennifer Engelbrecht Justin Miller, Chris Verdong Jason Marks Jeremy Fisher David Ratkitt Nick Kiss... David Sellers Jason Robbie, Michael Yanikoski Miles Clark Cindy Lum Phil Schwartzel Ann Reynolds Eric Huffman Adrian Dong Nate Faz Linton, Sean Peck Eric Zelander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Burning, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Coulter, Coul-Cotter, Jesse Wakovic, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrup, Steven Judd, Joe Verholst, Christopher Leto, John Lewis, Joe Rackstaff, Ron Nelson, Sarah Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe,
1: Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Doth, Paul Renner, Jimothy, and Matthew Droke and Aaron Moore, Jesse Wheeler, and Charles Pearson. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right. White Castle really needs to do table service more often because I'm in the mood for White Castle, but only if they bring it to me on a paper (laughs) plate.
2: It was delightful. (laughs) mm <laughs>